Ask Me MD, medical school for the real world, with the MD, Dr. DJ Verrett. Greetings and welcome to another edition of Ask Me MD, medical school for the real world. I'm Dr. DJ Verrett and today we have a great roundtable discussion with three women physicians about the challenges of being a woman physician in private practice. We're going to take a short break and we'll be right back with our roundtable right after this. Ask Me MD, medical school for the real world. We're talking to Chris Hansen today from Alliance Bank. Chris, tell us about your bank. DJ, thanks so much for having us. So Alliance Bank is a 95-year Texas-only bank. My office in McKinney services Collin County and surrounding counties. Our three primary niches I would identify are commercial real estate, residential real estate, and healthcare lending. And how can physicians learn more about the bank? My email address is chansen, which is C-H-A-N-S-C-N at alliancebank.com. And check them out on the web, alliancebank.com. Welcome back to Ask Me MD, medical school for the real world. I'm Dr. DJ Verrett, and today we're going to deviate from our normal format and actually have a roundtable discussion with a group of doctor moms. Today we're going to be joined by Dr. Jenny Higgins, who's in a group anesthesia practice, Dr. Sarah Riley, pediatrician in a private group practice, and Dr. Patty Wong, who's a private solo otolaryngologist. Doctors, thanks for joining me. Thank you for having us. Our pleasure. Thank you. So as I mentioned, this is kind of a new format for us. Usually I do one-on-one interviews, so we're going to kind of learn as we go here in a group Zoom setting. Um, But I think to start with, let's go around the table and have each one of you kind of introduce yourselves, uh, where you went to med school, your training, and and in particular, what your group, current group practice or current practice situation looks like. And and we'll start with uh, Patty. Well, thanks, DJ. Um, My name is Patty Wong. I am in my 20th post-residency year, so I'm on the older side. Uh, I'm a I, 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 and, and for the record, I did not ask okay. your age. <laughs> yes, I graduated high school at age 12, so it's all good. Uh, but I am, Fantastic. I'm a triple Duke alumni. Yes. So I went there for college, med school, and also did my general surgery and ENT training there. So I'm currently in solo practice. Um, I've been doing so since 2009. I had come from a multi-specialty group in Austin where I first uh, joined right after training. But once we moved up into this area, uh, North Texas area, I started a a solo practice. So that is where I am right now. And moving on, Sarah, why don't you tell us about, uh, about your history and where you are today? Yeah. So I am a Texas girl, could not, did not want to leave the state. I went to Texas A&M for undergrad, UT Houston for medical school, and then came up here to Children's Medical Center in Dallas for my residency in pediatrics. Um, We've been up in North Texas for 14 years, and I have been in private practice um, at the same location for the last 11 years. Um, I'm in a small group of three doctors, I am married with an eight-year-old son and a surprise little daughter on the way. Um, and Congratulations. Just, yeah, thanks. Due in January, right in the middle of flu season, in the middle of a COVID pandemic. Woo-hoo. Perfect timing. <laughs> I know, exactly. <laughs> so It's going to be fun times in my house for the next six months, but we're going to figure it out. 
That's awesome. And Jenny, why don't you let our audience know where you came from? Yes. Um, hi. Thanks so much, DJ. This is, this is super fun. Um, my name's Jenny Higgins. Um, I am an anesthesiologist. I um, went to undergrad at A&M to Sarah Giggum um, and then and then UT San Antonio for med school. And then I trained in Birmingham, Alabama um, for residency. I'm in a um, private practice anesthesia group with about 40 anesthesiologists. Um, and I've done that for about 12 years now. And um, I have um, three kids. They're 14, 12, and nine and a half. That's great. Um, so now the, the next part that I'm going to pose to you, and, and we'll go around the table again, is kind of why you came to the current practice that you're in and in the current specialty as well. So why did you pick your current practice model? Um, was there something about being a woman in medicine that led you to that model and or that specialty? So maybe we'll we'll go backwards. We'll start with Jenny on that one. Yeah, that's great. Um, I um, actually had my first baby uh, as a resident. Um, and so when I um, was looking into um, jobs, I knew I wanted to be, you know, in a larger um, group where I could have some flexibility, you know, um, just having, um, you know, whether I wanted to take call or have other people take call or if I wanted to work four days a week instead of five. And so um, I purposefully, you know, knew I actually, when I started my job, I was pregnant with my second child. So um, I knew I needed to be in a group that, um, you know, was um, kind of, open and familiar with maybe, you know, doing things a, a little bit differently, not um, an old school or, every, you know, you got to work 95 hours a week and you, da, 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 you know, so um, my group has been wonderful and, and being in a large group, I think it gives you the flexibility, you know, it's just, uh, yeah, each what kid I had, I was like, okay, now I want to work only four days a week. And now I, you know, I don't want to take call anymore. And, and it was just a, you know, a financial thing. Well, okay, if you want to work this much and only do this and not do weekends and not do holidays and not, you know, then work, this is the amount we're going to pay. And, you know, it's just been such a great thing for me and for my family. And then, you know, and then I had a third child and um, just having that flexibility was uh, phenomenal. So that's why I, you know, chose to be in a, in a larger group and, um, you know, chose people that would, kind of understand what I needed to, to be, you know, a mom and still be a doctor and, um, uh, you know, still be able to practice medicine the way I do, but also be around for my children. And did you, you mentioned you had your first child in residency. Did, did the desire to be a mom or, or kind of that life path affect your specialty at all? Um, you know, I, I wanted I knew I wanted to do anesthesia. Um, I did a rotation at the very beginning of my fourth year of medical school, and I loved anesthesia. Um, I felt like for me and my personality, um, just, you know, the fact that I don't necessarily have my own patients, I just go in, take care of people, and, and then, like, go home, you know? So it worked really well for me. Um, yes, I knew I wanted to be a mother. I, I got married, you know, at 24, had my first baby at 29, 
you know, I always knew I wanted to do that. So I found something um, for me. Anesthesia was um, something I could do and do fully, but then kind of leave that at the hospital and, and come home to, to my kids and my husband. But, but it sounds like it also was kind of just part of your personality. Maybe primary care wasn't in the cards, regardless of yes. whether or not you were a mom. Yes, probably, probably. I just realized that I, I mean, I, I love the intensity of it. I love the, you know, I, I just love everything about it. But um, I found it easier, you know, than like having my own patients and rounding and, and things like that. And then I would go home and still be thinking about them and, and things like that. And I found anesthesia was, you know, I could focus on this one thing, one patient at one time, and then kind of, you know, go home. And I mean, I still, of course, I, I call my patients the night before and check in with them and things like that, you know, like the, before the, I get my schedule mailed out and then I call them and just, you know, do you have any questions about anesthesia and just kind of calming and things like that. But for me, I think you're right. It's just part of my personality of why that I chose that profession. And, and let's go to the other side of the clinical spectrum, Sarah in, in, <laughs> in primary care. Um, 100% the opposite. Yeah, 100% the opposite, <laughs> yeah. exactly. Um, so, so why did you pick your current practice model? And, and was there something about being a woman in medicine that, that, that guided your, your specialty choice and, and your practice yeah. model there? So I, um, when I was finishing residency, I was already married, but I was not a mom yet, but I knew I wanted to have kids one day. And I'm kind of the opposite of Jenny. I am not an <laughs> adrenaline junkie at all. Um, I really like time to think about problems and come up with solutions. I don't like to make split second decisions. Um, and my absolute favorite part of being a general pediatrician is getting to create these relationships with families and watching patients grow up. Um, I've been at the same practice for 11 years. I actually have a couple of what we call grand patients um, because I started taking care of some older teenagers when I first came who've now had their own kids and have brought them to me. And that has just been amazing for me. And I love it. And I love that my families are getting involved in my life. And, you know, they know what's going on with me, too. That Lots of them are super excited that I'm getting a little girl. Um, I just love that family aspect of it. And I picked my current practice model partly because I knew where I wanted to live. Um, and I was looking at the different practices in the area that were hiring. And I just like the idea of a smaller practice, getting to know your patients more intimately, having the same patients following with the same doctor every time. And then in a smaller practice, I felt like I would have a little bit more autonomy over my schedule as well as my practice style. Um, you know, if I wanted to work four days a week, which is pretty typical for a pediatrician, um, I could, um, but at the same time, I wouldn't get lost in a big group um, where when I wasn't in the office for one day, I wouldn't have any idea what was going on with my patients because they could be seeing any one of 15 other doctors. And when you were looking for that practice that practice model. So you had an mm -hmm. idea for what you wanted to do. Mm -hmm. Did you interview a lot of different places? Did you create it on your own with a, a group of friends? How did that, how did that come about? So I just started looking around and cold called some places. Um, 
you know, some of it was word of mouth. Some of the practices had sent emails to our residency program saying we're looking to hire a fresh grad. Um, the practice that I joined, I actually found on the American Academy of Pediatrics website um, that they were looking to add somebody into their practice. Um, so it was a little bit of piecemeal. And there were some I just, I looked at their webpage and knew it wasn't worth their time or mine um, to waste their time because it wasn't going to be a good fit for what I was looking for. Um, but then for some of the smaller ones, I reached out, did interviews, just went and met with the other doctors there. Um, and in the end, I picked between two practices that I both really liked um, and location was kind of what sealed the deal for the one that I'm at. It, it sounds like you ended up doing a fair amount of legwork on your own. It's not like it just kind of dropped in your lap. No, it did not. So let's uh, let's move on to Patty and kind of in, in the middle of the primary care and the and the day and in, in the seeing the patients the day of um, to a solo otolaryngologist. Um, Patty, what what kind of led you to being in solo otolaryngology practice? I know I am kind of like the blend between you know, primary care and uh, more anesthesia, it's kind of interesting. So coming out of residency, I was actually even contemplating staying at Duke um, and just bring, being a Duke lifer. Then I realized that I probably needed to get a, a little different point of view. So I actually started looking for jobs May at the end of residency. So pretty much a month or two, uh, at the end of the residency tract, I was looking for jobs and I found a position in Austin and it was with a multi-specialty group and it was probably the best thing for me. I had um, an, an older ENT that had already been there and, and he served as a mentor for me. I think coming into surgery, it's not so much doing the surgeries, it's really knowing when to do surgery, how to take care of your patients. And for ENT, there's so much primary care. So it was really the best fit. But uh, when my husband had an opportunity to, to move up here, he's at UT Southwestern. Now, um, I was trying to decide what type of practice I wanted to, to be a part of. So coming up into this area, I talked to a bunch of ENTs, different folks that had um, their own practices. Um, and we have a really tight knit group of ENTs in the North Texas area. But after talking to everyone, I decided that, you know, I can really do this on my own. And at that time, I had two kids under the age of two. So my kids are 12 months apart. And setting up a solo practice, definitely, you know, there's a lot of work that goes into it. But like Sarah and Jenny um, are alluding to, there's a lot of flexibility. So as, as the kids grow, each year changes. Each, each year, high school, middle school, preschool, each year is gonna be different uh, for each child. And so with a solo practice, I can really be a little bit more flexible. The work is still there. Uh, you still have to run the business, but you can take that time if you need to, to, to go and see a preschool play or go and watch a, a sporting event without having to worry about space availability or office availability if you have multiple partners. So that's kind of how it came about. And probably the most important thing, and DJ, you're a part of this, is when you're a solo practitioner, you really have to have someone who's going to be able to be there for you if you take 
a day or two off or go on vacation. And so I, I wouldn't be able to do this without you, DJ. So, and I know I've told you this before. So if you are in solo practice, you really have to have, you know, another individual or group that's really going to be able to be there for you. So thank you. You're welcome. Anytime. Um, was there, was there something about being a woman in medicine that guided your specialty choice? You know, I, I was actually like Sarah, I was thinking about pediatrics going into medical school and um, props to you, Sarah, for being able to stick with it. Uh, after I did my <laughs> pediatric rotation, I realized, well, I mean, this is nice, but um, I really liked uh, the surgery. So coming from Duke, it, there's a, a lot of emphasis towards surgery. David Sabiston was our chairman. You have a really strong surgery program, um, as well as other uh, programs. And ENT was a wonderful blend where I could really be able to see pediatrics, adults. I could do surgery. I could do mm -hmm. clinic. Um, it, it was, it ended up being the best specialty for me. And I think when you look at things, it's almost the specialty chooses you, you know, you, you see who else is in the specialty. You kind of tend to gravitate toward similar folks, similar, uh, minds. And, and it was, it was good. There were very few women. I think I'm actually only the third female ENT to finish at Duke. Um, and I'm really not wow. that old. And so it, it just tells you how many, how few <laughs> surgeons there are um, at that time. Our intern class was 21 and there were two general surgery female interns, two orthopedic female interns and me. Um, and there were very few other female residents across the other subspecialties, but, uh, but it, was, it was a challenge, but I had really good support uh, from my chairman, my other residents. Um, and it was, it was a really, it was probably the right place for me. The best place that, that was, uh, it was the best place for me. So I, I was very lucky and blessed to be in that situation. You, you kind of have a unique perspective in this, in this round table because you, you've been in a multi-specialty group practice, a larger group, and now in a solo practice, maybe you can just kind of quickly touch on some of the, the pros and cons of, of each one. Oh, yeah, definitely. With a multi-specialty group, you're pretty much with all other specialties. And, and there's a, a very collegial um, atmosphere. However, uh, you probably have a little bit less autonomy. There are layers of management which um, who sometimes are not physicians, and they tend to dictate business and practice um, models. So coming out of that model, I knew that I wanted to be able to have more autonomy. So being in solo practice, you really take care of everything. You have to, uh, you know, work with insurance companies. You have to to kind of manage your employees. You have to have a really good office manager. But all in all, uh, you really can take care of the patients the way that you want to take care of them. And I think mm -hmm. that is the most important part. And also being in private practice. Uh, you get to meet wonderful other physicians like Sarah and, and Jenny, and uh, this this becomes your your group. And you know there are times that I can text Sarah and say, "Hey, what would you do with this patient?" And Jenny asking her, "Hey, is this patient okay for anesthesia? Do we need to do anything?" So you, as long as you develop your own collegial group, uh, you're you're going to be in great shape. But I do like the autonomy if it's if fits my personality. And I, I think you can actually deliver maybe more on-point care. Um, 
and mm-hmm. you can really get folks in that day. Your scheduler is in the same office. So if they have a question, you can answer it right away. They don't have to go through layers of uh, personnel, which you might see even with bigger practices too. And Sarah, you, you kind of are just a, a little bit of a step up from that solo practice. Mm-hmm. Um, what, what are some of the biggest challenges you've encountered in group practices and, and how did you overcome those? I think one of the hardest things for me was coming straight out of residency into that group practice and trying to figure out my own practice style and how to blend my style with what the other docs did. And thankfully, we all practice very similarly, but everyone's going to have a little bit of their own spin on things. Um, and then, you know, like Patty said, just trying to establish that network um, of people that you know that you can call. And, you know, I have called Patty multiple times um, and said, hey, I have this kid with X, Y, and Z, and it's something that's a little beyond me. Can you get him in? Does he need to come in today? Or is he okay to wait a couple more days? And she has always been there, never not once um, come through for me. And I think just kind of creating that network of individuals who can help you out when you need it was a little bit of a challenge for me coming up here because in residency, you just refer everybody within your institution. Oh, you need to get into ENT. Let's call ENT clinic. Um, But up here in private practice, it's just a little bit different. And so getting that all figured out was a little bit of a challenge, but now we're in a good place. And, and I would, I actually would, would second what both of you said, as you know, I'm, I'm in, in a solo practice as well. And one of the things I found most challenging was when you're in solo practice, you, you come out of residency, you have a whole bunch of residents you talk to every day. You can, if you have questions, you can bounce ideas off of people and then you get in solo practice and it's, it's just you and you're fairly isolated at that point. Um, and, and that's where, forcibly developing those relationships. So now if I have a question, I text Patty or um, like you said, you can text the other people in your own created multi-specialty group um, to kind of get those answers. And it, I, I would agree, it's, it's a challenge to get off the ground, but once you do, I think it overcomes a lot of the, a lot of the downside to the, to the smaller groups. Well, and interestingly enough for me, Facebook has actually helped to expand my network of other physicians, especially women physicians. Um, I'm in several different physician mom Facebook groups. Um, I've met some of my very best friends (laughs) through these groups um, who we now travel across the country to go and see each other because we have become so close over the last six or seven years. Um, And it's great to have them on speed dial as well for, hey, this is how we would manage this in our area. What are you guys doing out in California or New York or Oklahoma? Um, Just to get different perspectives on how different people would manage different problems. And so the internet has actually been a really good thing for me um, as a private practice small group doctor, just to hear other doctors and what they would do in different situations. And, and we'll round it out with Jenny. Uh, obviously, you're in a much larger group. You said 40 anesthesiologists and talked about some of the advantages of that and why you sought that out. But 
Can you maybe touch on some of the challenges you see in these larger groups that, that you've had to overcome over the years? Um, yeah, sure. Um, I would say, you know, I don't, I don't know whether it's um, a, a challenge just because of kind of the setup for anesthesia in general, but um, some of you guys talking about, you know, just being isolated and kind of alone, like, you know, and as you, when you're a resident and you're training and you always have, you know, attendings and you have, um, you know, other people kind of around to bounce stuff off. Um, as a private practice anesthesiologist, you know, I am in a group with 40 other, or, you know, 39 other people, but you're really by yourself, you know, in an operating room alone in, in, you know, you're making very important, critical split second decisions that can, you know, affect a, a patient. And I think um, that was really challenging for me, you know, coming out and in Dallas, the way the practice is set up, you know, I sometimes will go to three or four hospitals in a day. Um, Cause we don't really contract with one single hospital. We just kind of have, uh, you know, this network of surgeons we work with and we'll travel all over to, you know, different, different places and, um, you know, different, it's everywhere has a different PIXIS code and everywhere has a different, you know, OR setup and you've got to kind of be in there and know where things are and, you know, quickly get to medications and um, equipment. And so it, it's, it was, it's really hard coming out of a resident where you have a big support group into, man, you're it. And, and you need to, you know, be really confident and, and um, be able to be, you know, just flexible and, um, you know, it was, it's really challenging. So I think um, that was kind of the hardest part. And it is, you know, I love like how Patty and Sarah were saying, you really get to know your surgeons really well. And those relationships are um, really awesome, you know, but as far as um, your other anesthesiologists in their group, everybody's kind of running around doing um, their own thing. And it's, it's not that, um, network as maybe if you were in an academic practice where um, there was more camaraderie with your colleagues and things like that. And, and that's what I was going to ask is it, it sounds like that, um, that challenge is kind of specific to the area you're in, maybe an academic setting or a, a closed anesthesia hospital may have some ways to kind of overcome that, that kind of a challenge. Yes, I agree totally. If you were in an academic setting or in other areas, you know, it's like, well, this one anesthesia group only works at this one hospital and you kind of had the same people, you know, mainly every day or at least a group of people where, and in my practice, it's, it's very different than that. Um, and, you know, like I said, I've totally, now it's my 12th year and I've, I've overcome it. Mm -hmm. Um, but at the beginning, it, it was definitely a big, <laughs> steep learning curve. Um, yeah. And that would probably, you know, ha that was probably the biggest challenge and the biggest difference for me. It, it's interesting to hear all three of you, and, and I, actually I would be a fourth, um, say that that was the biggest challenge when coming out is, is kind of the isolation there. Not, not anything to do with figuring out billing or coding or anything like that. It was, it was actually <laughs> being on your own. Yes. 
Um, so we're approaching our half hour here. Um, and, and I definitely want to touch a little bit on just being a woman in medicine. Um, so, so the next question I'm going to pose to the group is, um, now that you, you guys are obviously well-established in your careers, um, twofold question. One, is there something that a woman in medicine, a woman leader in medicine that said to you or you heard along your way that influenced where you are? And two, is there something you would tell a woman in medical school or residency? Is there a piece of advice that you would give to them? So Jenny, we'll start with you. Um, sure. So uh, the the thing that stuck with me the most, and this is kind of counterintuitive, but I, um, I think it was like a first year medical student. I was talking with, uh, you know, some MD, PhD, one of my uh, female um, professors. And, you know, I think I was just saying, you know, this is so hard and I'm so stressed. And I remember she looked at me and she said, well, maybe you should just do something else. Maybe you're not cut out for this. Maybe you can't do this. And just like, you know, looked at me. And I, th I remember walking away from that and I was like, whatever, I totally can do this, you know? And so I feel That's like, awesome. yeah, I feel like she kind of, and she knew, you know, she could just tell by, you know, she kind of gotten to know me through the year. She knew by my personality that that's what I needed to hear. So it's a little counterintuitive. I know if you're, if you're, you know, whatever, but if that fits your personality and you kind of get to know somebody and that was just the, the little push I needed. Um, and the second part is I feel like for any um, young woman that was, you know, entering medical school, I would just want to encourage them and say, you can do it and you can have it all and you can have a balance at, at times you know, it feels like things are unbalanced and maybe work's getting more attention or the kids are getting more attention or your husband needs this or that, you know, but I, I just want to encourage them and say, and now with more women entering into medical fields and, um, you know, and everybody gets it and, and, you know, you can do it, stick with it, be true to yourself, figure out what you really want and then go for it. But it's also going to be a lot of work, right? Oh, yes. Oh, yeah. It, it's, it's, it, was, it was so hard. And, and it doesn't come immediately. You know, you, you have to put in, in the hard work. You have to put in the hours. You have to put in the time. But I feel like all three of us can probably agree that once you do it, you do the hard work, you, you figure out what you want, you get your schedule set. It takes years. I mean, it, it's, it took me several years to figure out it. Now I'm going to work five days a week and I'm going to take a little call. Now I'm only going to work four days a week. Now I'm only going to do seven to three, four days a week, no call, no weekends, no night. And luckily I chose a group that was flexible with me to work with me to figure <clears throat> out, you know, a schedule that would work for me and my family as I kept having children and, you know, t discussing with my husband, okay, what, you know, what is your, what do you need? What do I need? Um, so, so yeah, it's, it is challenging, but you can do it. Sarah, is there somebody that influenced you to be where you are? And, and what advice would you give to women who are coming along in medicine? So, yes, my mentor in residency, um, 
she actually was kind of in a similar life position to where I, I think she saw me ending up. Um, she too was married to a non-physician who traveled a lot for work. And so she just spent a lot of time with me um, talking about how her life looked and how as a mom, as a doctor, as a wife, and just helped me through multiple conversations, kind of figuring out what to look for um, in a career so that I could try to achieve that balance. And am I perfect at it? No. Are there days where I feel like a failure at all three of the above? Yes. (laughs) Um, But overall, I mean, I still pinch myself and say, I can't believe that I get to do what I get to do um, at work and then still come home and have a life that I love. And I would advise medical students to try to find somebody that you can identify with um, who you can just ask the questions to about how do you do this? How do you make um, a family and a career and a marriage work? Um, What's not working for you so that I can try not to make some of those same mistakes and just find somebody that you can talk things through, um, through with, because that was probably more helpful for me than anything else as I was looking at different practice models and looking at different areas and trying to decide how do I want my life to look for the next 5, 10, 25 years? And where do I want to be and what do I want to do? And I, I mean, that's a great, a great point of having a mentor that is where you want to be. Um, mm-hmm. But I know as a, as a medical student and a resident, I was petrified of calling <laughs> anyone, uh, any physician older than I was. Um <laughs> You know, if if somebody just cold called you, a med student just cold called you and said, hey, I want to learn about what you do, would you answer the phone? (laughs) No, because I don't answer the phone, but I answer emails. (laughs) (laughs) But I I guess um, the point point I'm coming to is, you know, just, just. I, my advice to to medical students and residents is just just cold call a couple of people until yeah. you can you can talk to someone because I think we would all be willing to to give an afternoon at least to to provide some insight. Well, and Southwestern actually has a really interesting program set up where students can choose to do private practice electives, and they have a list of us of people who we'll have these residents come out into our clinics for several days or a week um, and spend time with us. And I have always let the ones who come and rotate with me know, hey, here's my email. You can email me about anything. Most of them don't take me up on that, but some do. Um, And it's just nice for them to kind of have those resources available. So I do feel like our residency program tried to help out a little bit with it um, if you knew that private practice was where you wanted to end up. That's great. And Patty, uh, not to put you on the spot, those were two great answers. So uh, can, can, I know I'm thinking can you give us some insight if you had uh, somebody that, that really told you something that stuck with you and what advice you would give to, to young uh, medical students and residents? I, I think it has to do with you know, representation. So I think the more women that we see in our different fields, I think that'll be so much easier for our, our female medical students and residents to reach out. And at when I was in you know, ENT and, and surgery, I really didn't have very many female role models. We had uh, one ENT uh, surgeon, Dr. Deborah Tusi, who was fantastic. So I knew she was always there. 
but it, it's probably good that I was a little bit naive going into general surgery and ENT that I didn't really realize what I was getting myself into. So that's probably <laughs> how I, I was able to finish. Um, you know, and at that point, I was not married. I was not in any relationships. So I really could do what I needed to do to kind of complete uh, residency. So I, you know, props to anyone and everyone who's married going into residency or even who has kids. I can imagine doing any of that. And we had call every two nights or every three nights at best. And so it, I was able to really concentrate on uh, what I needed to do, but that was years ago. So I think residencies are much different. But now that we have more females, I think it's it's just a nicer, gentler uh, way of, of training where you can have a, a more of a balance. And I agree, it, it's good to reach out. But the one piece of advice or two pieces of advice that I remember getting, and it's when I was interviewing up in North Texas, talking to a bunch of different ENTs, um, Jane Admire is probably one of the first ENTs to finish UT Southwestern as a female. And she told me, number one, each school year is going to be different. So that's why having some flexibility with your schedule is, is always good because kids change from preschool to elementary to middle school and then up to high school. And then she also said, if you're building your own you know, practice, always have a big break room. Because if your kids get sick or if one of your employees' kids get sick, you can potentially, you know, have them come to the office where you don't um, knock out your employee, where they can actually still uh, kind of be there and, and you can still watch over the kids as well. So I, I thought that was a very important uh, piece, too, because if you're in practice, you're the people that work for you and your employees are so crucial to the, you know, daily um, practices of how your practice goes. So th those were two important things from that standpoint and just never give up, you know? I, so I <laughs> love that. Uh, I love that practical piece of advice that stuck with you. Mm -hmm. That's great. And I do have and, one thing for residency. True. I remember one person telling me, and, and we were just finishing our internship at, uh, at Duke. And he said, you know, they can hurt you, but they can't stop the clock. So I was like, okay, there we go. We're going to just finish. <laughs> we're going to get this done. We're going to continue and, and get through the residency. So I thought that was, that stuck with me. That has stuck with me for years. So, uh, <laughs> so yes, we're all here where we are. And, and I, I think it's, it's wonderful. You know, I get to have relationships with Jenny and, and Sarah on a daily basis. I can call them. So it's, it's been a wonderful uh, career choice for me. All right. I have one more overriding question I want to ask uh, as kind of our final, final question here. Um, what challenges do you think women in medicine still face in 2020? Um, and, and mind you, we're, we're getting to the end of the show. So um, if, if we can, I, I know there are a lot out there, but if you can <laughs> kind of highlight what you see as the biggest challenges, that would be great. Uh, we'll start with Patty. And I can talk from the business standpoint. I think as more and more females go into medicine, I feel that our reimbursement and the insurance reimbursement is going to decrease. You know, as physicians, our whole purpose is to really help people. And we're going to do things regardless of how much we get paid or how much time it, it takes to, to do something. 
Um, you know, we invariably miss birthdays and, and dinners and, and weddings just because of what we do. But I, I think that we as a physicians as a group or as more females come into practice, I, I wonder if we're, and I not wonder, I think we're going to see more and more challenges uh, with uh, equity, equality, and, and fairness. Sarah, on to you. What do you think is the is is one of or some of the biggest challenges women in medicine face, even still today? So I'm almost forty, but I'm short and I have blonde hair and blue eyes, and I still get mistaken for. Um, a nurse or a nursing aide on a regular basis. <laughs> um, we just recently dropped rounding on newborns because of COVID and all the challenges that that was creating. But when I was still rounding on newborns, um, I cannot even begin to tell you how many times I would be in the room talking to a family about their newborn, even sometimes having serious conversations about, hey, I found this cleft palate or we found this problem and this is what we're going to do to get through this. And um, sorry, DJ, but usually the male OB would come in and walk in and just start talking over me. Um, and I'd have to introduce myself. Hey, I'm Dr. Riley. I'm the pediatrician. I'll be done in just a couple minutes. Um, but there's lots of times that we're assumed to not be actual physicians just because of how we look. Um, and it's something that has bothered me for many years and probably will bother me. Um, <laughs> just, it's a sad fact. And, and, yeah, uh, unfortunately. Um, Jenny, on to you. What what do you see as, as the biggest challenges you face? Obviously, you and, and Sarah touches on something that's that happens in the hospital setting. Obviously, your practice is, is pretty much limited to hospital settings or surgery center settings. So what do you see as some of the biggest challenges for women in 2020? <clears throat> yeah, I mean, I, I agree with Sarah. Um, you know, um, Occasionally, you know, I walk into an OR and, you know, and um, people think I'm the medical sales rep, which kudos to my husband's in medical sales. Like I get it, but it's just, you know, and sometimes even the surgeon, you know, will, will, will speak to me like I'm that and have to say, I'm, I'm the anesthesiologist. I'm, I'm Dr. Higgins. And we actually have worked together before. And, you know, just because I'm a female, I, well, I, sometimes I feel like, you know, like Sarah saying, if I was male, um, maybe that assumption wouldn't be there, uh, you know, like, you know, I, I'm worthy of, you know, at least giving me the time to say, oh, you know, get to know me. I'm the anesthesiologist. I'm kind of an important person. Um, you know, I feel like that is a challenge. And I, I do think it's going to change as, you know, as Patty's saying, and Sarah, more women are going into medicine and, um, you know, but there are certain specialties, I think, um, like surgery, where it's been so male dominated for so long. And, um, you know, it's, I, 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 I'm hopeful, I think it's going to get better. But um, there is always that assumption that if you are a female, that maybe you, um, you know, are not a doctor. Yeah. And it's nothing against the other professions that are out there. But just ask what my role is and don't assume that I can't be a physician or can't be your peer or equal just because I'm a woman. Yeah, True. exactly. 
Guys, thanks. Um, this has been been quite fun, informative, and I think uh, opens the door for some additional discussions if you guys are up for it in the future. Absolutely. Oh, I would love it. Oh, this would be great. Thank you. Well, thanks for joining us. You're listening to Ask Me MD, medical school for the real world. I'm Dr. DJ Verrett. Today, we've been talking with Dr. Jenny Higgins, Dr. Sarah Riley, and Dr. Patty Wong on being a woman in medicine. Join us again next week. Until then, make it an awesome week. Thank you for joining us for another episode of Ask Me MD, medical school for the real world with Dr. DJ Verrett. If you have a question or an idea for a show, send us an email at questions at askmemdpodcast.com. 